And welcome to another edition of the Bavada at Odds podcast. We are coming out of the first week in baseball, and we also had the Masters, which uh, was wonderful. And now we are up for NBA playoffs. My name is Seth Everett, the head odds maker at BavadaSportsbook.com. It's Patrick Morrow. Patrick, what did you make of the first week in baseball? Is it true? Are the rumors true? You actually attended a Major League Baseball game? You, of all people? In Canada, I the first opening day Toronto Blue Jays game that took place in Toronto since 2019. And uh, boy, I, you know what? Listen, it was one game, but one game really lived up to the hype. Even if uh, <laughs> by the top of the fourth inning, when the Jays were down 7 nothing to the Texans, and I was in a 45-minute concession line to get a $12 hot dog because some things <laughs> still haven't changed. And I was just thinking... Really? Is this is this what I came back to Toronto for? And then uh, the boys did their thing. Uh, you know, they really, I guess, reinforced the fact that the Jays were the second biggest favorite going into the uh, baseball season to win the World Series. Uh, came back 110-8. It was awesome. I was we were sitting just over the Jays dugouts. I got to wave to Vladdy a few times. He, of course, ignored me because. Well, I'm just Pat Morone. He's Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Right up there for AL MVP. But it, it was cool. You know, the energy in Toronto. This weekend uh, was just so pent up, right? This was the Rogers Center, uh, formerly the Sky Dome, 50,000 plus. The game, the first pitch wasn't even until 7.37. It was supposed to be just a 7 o'clock start. The pomp and circumstance and the hype, and it, it was awesome. It was very cool. Now, I know what this is like because I've been to a Jays uh, home opener before. And, you know, they'll probably be like half capacity rest of the way things will kind of calm down a little bit. Right. The opener but is always limited. The, the opener was always wild. But I think, you know, the fact that they won the way they did after so many years of not having a home opener like that. And, you know, the team was playing in Florida. The team was playing in Bluff Buffalo. Uh, it, it, it was great. It, it was really cool to be a part of. And uh, yeah, it was just, it, I know overall it was just a fascinating and really, really exciting sports weekend. Baseball back. You know, we're getting to the end of the NHL regular season. We had the Masters and Scotty Scheffler just absolutely dominate a really difficult course. Even Rory had a cool shot uh, on 18 on Sunday to sneak into second place like that. Uh, you know what? It was a fantastic sports weekend. The weather's getting good, Seth. It's uh, it's a pretty chill time right now. It's a pretty yeah, good time to be a sports fan. Springtime is always uh, April's. I, I always think April is very underrated as a sports month. I know a lot of people think, October because you have the start of the NBA, NHL, NFLs in full swing, and then the baseball playoffs. And I'm like, uh, April to me is uh, is the uh, the creme de la creme uh, when it comes to that. A couple things on the Masters. Um, what happened to the betting lines when Tiger made the cut? Uh, well, yeah, well, a few things there. So I was, uh, you know, I'm always paying attention, but I was in a, I was in a, I was in a bar downtown Toronto Friday at around 5 PM or so. It's so like two hours before two and a half hours. Cause of all the opening ceremony nonsense and we're, we're watching and I see tigers minus one at 5 PM on Friday. And I'm just thinking, Oh fuck, here we go. Because for as long as I've been doing this at Bavada and elsewhere, Tiger, regardless, regardless if he's playing on one leg, one arm, and uh, and he only has a putter to hit with, he is always our largest liability if he is in contention. So we did get to a point where uh, we hadn't even got uh, all the way through Friday yet, and Tiger was you know close to like 
it was just like $900,000 loss if yeah. he were to win. Now, granted, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty pragmatic and reasonable guy these days. And, you know, Tiger hadn't played anything in ages, right? It was, and it was only like late middle of that week. He was just like, yeah, I guess I'll give it a go because he's won the Masters before. He can play whenever he wants. But I, you know what? It was equal parts inspiring. He did get as low as like, you know, 50 to one at some point, which, you know, I, I guess minus one was a pretty good sport score at that point. He was kind of in the thick of things. Uh, it was unfortunate the way he fell off, but for a sports book liability point of view, uh, I didn't mind that much that he fell off uh, and the, the kind of ratings that he drew in on Thursday, Friday, while he was playing as well as he was, uh, you know, that was good for us too. So it, it was, it was kind of cool to see him do what he was doing, at least in spurts, but uh, I certainly didn't miss seeing him go as far back as he did when we got to Saturday and then Sunday, I think he was plus six or plus seven, one of those rounds. Uh, it was, it was incredible that he was even able to compete for half the tournament as well as he did. But uh, yeah, those liabilities, that, that's one thing that hasn't changed with golf betting, Seth, is uh, if Tiger's out there at all and showing a pulse, our players are going to jump all over him. Yeah, I, I, I can't blame that for happening. I understand what a draw he is. Um, I just thought it was fascinating. And, you know, I don't know if we've talked a lot about Tiger on this podcast. My, my, I have a pretty, not, I don't want to say unique, I don't care about his off the field stuff. I don't care about his marriages. I don't care about his fight. I don't care about the driveway. You know, I don't care about that stuff. I find his recovery from injury, the, uh, a, a masterclass on athletic determination. I mean, he came back from the back injury and that was enough. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have cemented a legacy on that. Um, what Tiger Woods is beating. And I use two baseball references uh, he's Ken Griffey Jr. recovering from injuries that Jr. couldn't. Mm-hmm. He's Don Mattingly. Don Mattingly, it, it was just a documentary on him on the MLB Network about how, you know, he was for six years, he was a Hall of Famer, but he had a back injury and he never recovered. Tiger Woods is doing that. And, mm-hmm. you know, this week on Sports with Friends, not to uh, plug another podcast, I talked to Bob Harrig from Sports Illustrated, who covers the Masters and wrote a book about Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. Boy, that opens up a can of worms. But just the idea that Tiger's story is not over is truly amazing. Yeah, it, it, it was something else to see. And I mean, yeah, I, I think I'm probably similar to you in how I view it. I mean, I, I got... Listen, the older I get, I certainly don't look for uh, moral heroes, I guess, in my athletes. I, I'm fans, generally speaking, of why why I was ever a fan of them, because of their greatness and their ability to excel in their chosen field. I mean, obviously, there are some exceptions if somebody's, you know, uh, out there doing, uh, you know, committing violent crimes or something like that, then okay, we kind of look past that. But, you know, relationship failings, uh, I, uh, that just seems to happen more and more these days anyways. So, you know, Tiger Woods is great, not because of who he is as uh, a life partner or a father or whatever else is the case. Um, he's great because of what he does on the course. And like you said, his ability to bounce back and, you know, you, you can't quite uh, throw in the towel on Tiger Woods just yet. And yeah, I, I mean, that's why, uh, you know, watching his early rounds at the Masters at Augusta, it was you know, equal parts, all the scary reminders of what those liabilities look like. And because he won a lot, he obviously won a lot. How many of those we've paid out in the past, but it was, it was just so cool as a fan of sport to see him overcome, you know, 
for at least as long as he did. You know, obviously his injuries kind of caught up with him as the tournament progressed. Totally get oh, that. I don't hey, care. Let, let, I, you know, that was the thing. Like, yeah, just the fact that he made the cut. Yeah, the fact that he, he did made it for the cut at the Masters. He, he he almost had his leg amputated. I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. I, yeah. I, I just had nothing but praise for the guy. Uh, listen, my, my knees are holding up better than his. And when I play 18, I still use a cart. <laughs> no joke. You know, you mentioned driving a cart. And, you know, one of the things that I remember, uh, if you ever wanted phone calls, remember in, in talk radio, uh, the big thing in the beginning of talk radio was get callers. You wanted you wanted the lines were lit up and it was, mm. you know, Johnny in the Bronx. And I remember in the late 90s, in the mid 90s, mid to late 90s, when I started my career in talk radio, the two topics that would always get big, big calls were should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame and mm. should Casey Martin be allowed to drive a cart? Ooh! oh, my God. Casey Martin, drive a cart. Google that, for- folks. Holy yeah, I forgot boy. about that. That is a story. If you came on the radio and you said, let him drive a cart, that's fine. Or you took the stance of, no, he has to do what everybody else has to do. If everybody else has to walk, he has to walk. You would get full phone lines for hours upon hours upon hours upon hours. So what, was more, con- what was more controversial at the time? Casey Martin have, uh, having the ability to use a cart or Augusta extending membership to women? Well, Augusta is a whole other can of worms because, you know, I thought in the 90s when Tiger Woods first played there and commented about how, you know, a few years prior to that, he wouldn't have been allowed to attend there. Yep. I mean, there's see that. And and since you went there, that's why I'm not 100 percent behind the Masters. Sure. Oscar. I don't love the Masters as a tournament. I I, yeah. I mean, like, listen, I can take or leave. uh the membership committee there uh, to me, I, I don't get lost in any of that. And I just, when I look at that course, I just think, you know, I, I don't care if my worst enemy runs that course. I, I love playing golf. That would be a round that I would, you know, pay silly amounts of money to go play one day. But yeah, I, are, are they absolute dinosaurs running that organization that are ever so slowly joining us in the 21st century? Sure. But yeah, it's uh, w- watching, especially over the weekend, you know, when the weather finally started to improve on the course, too, and you, you saw the sun come out. And the, I mean, the greens aren't greener anywhere in golf than they are at Augusta. And, you know, I, I, I think I just, when you talk about played. the pomp and circumstance of, of Augusta and the Masters, yeah. all I think about is racism. That's what sure. I, that's what I think about. I, I, I have no, I, I don't like that history. Now, can you say I shouldn't like Yankee Stadium because, you know, for until Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, there were mm-hmm. no black players on that field. Or yeah. is Fenway Park less magical because they were the last team to integrate? Like, I don't know. But in the Masters, it just feels like when everybody talks about the history, it's mm-hmm. not a history I'm really, really think they should be proud of. Right. And, and for me, it, it's not the history. It's it's how difficult the course is. It's how pristine the course is. Uh you know, I, I don't care uh, who operates the course and perhaps maybe I should, you know, think more about that and be a little bit more socially conscious. But uh, oh, it's, it's tough to be socially conscious when you're just trying to keep your fairway shot straight. Yeah, totally. but, uh, you know, and, but the flip side, I'm also the same kind of guy that, uh, you know, if I'm talking about the masters and the history and the pristine beauty and all that kind of carefully manicured, not just field, but the, the facade of the masters itself, 
I'm also a guy that loves the Waste Management Open in Phoenix. That's a good time too. So you know, I, I can go both ways with that. I, I, I get it. I, I get it. I, I don't know. I, I think that you know the fact that it's at the same place every time. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think about of the Masters is I think of Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. That's what yeah. I think of. And you know, it, like I said, I just thought Tiger playing, just yeah. being there was incredible. Yeah, was and, beyond word when he tweeted Monday that he was thinking about it. Yes, the world went bananas, and sure, CBS and ESPN in the United States were thanking their lucky stars, like "Thank you, thank you, thank you." Oh, that's awesome, and that's what that's what it turned out to be. Well, and and we saw on Sunday too, right? I mean, at that point, he was plus seven, plus eight. I can't even remember how he yeah. finished up. Uh, I, I know in Canada, anyways, we had four or five different channels and forget all the streaming stuff attached to it as well, but four or five different TV channels showing the masters. And one channel was just following tiger around who was, you know, 15, 20 shots off. the Yeah. League. ESPN but, plus, but it matters just it on matters. tiger woods. You could watch that all, all day on Friday. I was totally in. I yeah. was all about that. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, we could do golf all day, but let's uh, talk about some things that people can bet on now, uh, some upcoming events, including the NBA playoffs. And I'll have, I'm just going to throw out some generic questions to you. Um, Is there a clear cut favorite in the East? Uh, You have Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, all staking a claim. I know Toronto is interesting. Um, They're all staking a claim. It's pretty wide open. And you don't have that clear cut favorite. I know, you know, it's going to be awkward because uh, Brooklyn has to win the play in tournament. And at the time of this recording, we don't know that, but Mm -hmm. you know, Brooklyn is going to get a lot of the action yet. They have the hardest road. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Brooklyn is certainly in tough just to even be in the discussion, but, but if they get there, they can kind of be uh, like the Lakers a couple of years ago, uh, or, you know, even Golden State when they had that year of injuries, you know, five, six years ago, and they broke all the efficiency ratings because they weren't healthy the entire season. And so all the projections were based on, well, if the team plays the way they did. Well, no, they didn't have all their players. So uh, if Brooklyn is able to get through the uh, the tournament, they will likely uh probably the, the likely leapfrog of the Milwaukee Bucks who are currently the favorite to win the East right now. But, but yeah, look, looking at the futures board set, it, it is a big mess. Milwaukee is the favorite, but the Celtics are right there four to one Celtics who surprised a lot of people this year, they were 10 to one just to win their division, uh, let alone be one of the teams that we're talking about uh, making a deep playoff run. Miami heat, I think was another team this year that really surprised a lot of people that they were able to maintain a lot of their success from the previous season. 76ers are right there, although they're going to have some interesting roster situations crossing the U S border into Canada in round one. Uh, So that will be because of COVID and vaccine status. That's that's right. And, and, and listen, it, uh, I do have to uh, you know emphasize as a Canadian, that is a thing that goes both ways. Uh, you know, the Toronto Raptors team if it, and the Toronto Blue Jays, as we look ahead to the baseball later, we have to do that if we want to come to America and play games there. So, you can't, you know, listen, I'm not always the biggest fan of the Canadian government in the best of times, but this is something that's going both ways. Canadian players that want to or sorry, Canadian teams that want to play baseball or hockey or whatever else in the States, we'll have to comply with that too. So, you know, the Raptors are getting, uh, you know, a bit of grief from some sports writers right now, but, you know, to an extent, every team has the same thing that they have to struggle with. It's just that 29 times out of 30, their opponent is within the same country. But yeah, well, pretty, if I, pretty if I was betting, 
if I was betting, I would say the, the NBA champions coming from the West, it's either going to be Phoenix, Memphis, Golden State. That's that's it. And Golden State depends on the health of Steph Curry. Uh, the reality of it is I thought Phoenix was gangbusters this year. Uh, they were virtually unbeatable. I, I it'd be hard pressed. I know people always say, oh, well, they're the favorite. They're the favorite for a reason. The Phoenix Suns are a really, really good basketball team. Yeah, the, and the Phoenix Suns, they obviously, uh, they got so close last year against the Bucs. Uh, they were right there. And if you're talking about a team that's bringing back so much consistency year over year and uh, has a team that's just been the best team in the West all season without question, uh, it has been the Suns. Golden State has, again, been interesting because they did deal with, uh, you know, inconsistent playing time from a lot of their stars this year, whether it was Clay, whether it was Draymond Green. Um, you know, we had that crazy prop bet scenario when Draymond Green came in that one game and he started and he immediately left and we had player props for Draymond Green on, you know, points, assists, rebounds, stuff like that. And our stipulation is as long as he starts, there's action. Well, he started and immediately exited and became the easiest underwinds on Draymond Green points, rebounds, assists, anything else like that. Some other sports books really got crushed. But again, looking at Golden State heading to the playoffs this year, it's very difficult to figure out, uh, what their body of work is and how, how can we project that going forward? Cause it's been an incomplete body of work. They haven't had their whole core together for the majority of this season. So it's really difficult to build ratings around that. You kind of look at legacy ratings and say, okay, historically when their best five guys are out there, what can they bring to the table? And that's why it's probably a little bit easier for us to say, Hey, listen, the suns have been healthy. The suns have been consistent and uh, in head-to-heads where Golden State has had their core out there, listen, the Suns have come out on top this year. Uh, the Suns currently uh, are the plus 110 favorites, so they're, they're not an outright uh, favorite over you know the rest of the field. But you know Golden State's right there, Memphis is right there, and then you're right. It's a bit of a drop-off from there, Seth. Your Dallas and your Denvers, your Utahs, they're all in the double digits in terms of their futures odds. So uh, having said that, you know we're still at a point where you know, are we going to have some boring first round games? Absolutely. But that, that happens every year in the NBA playoffs. I think when we do get to the second round in both the East and the West, we're going to see some super compelling, super interesting basketball out there. And then historically speaking, I think that's when I really start to get into the NBA playoffs is get rid of those seven and eight seeds, those teams that barely creeped in that, uh, you know, they're out in four or five and there's not a lot of compelling games. there. Yeah. But Adam Silver loves that play in game. He loves that play in tournament. He says it's here to stay. So I, I, I saw a buddy of mine from, uh, let's just call it gambling Twitter, because so many people in this space are anonymous for a lot of reasons. Maybe they don't like to know uh, how and when they're getting their action down. And it was this idea that the top seeds, maybe the top four seeds in each conference should be able to choose their first round opponent from any team in their conference. And I thought that was kind of fascinating, because if you look at you know, Brooklyn, we're talking about Brooklyn, who has to play a play-in game just to get into the playoffs. Do you think whoever Brooklyn's playing in the first round really feels like they won out if they got a two or three seed and all of a sudden they're dealing with uh, Brooklyn after that? Does that seem, or not, it wouldn't be a three seed, sorry, it'd be a one or two seed. But does that seem like, uh, you know, you were consistently strong all year, way better than all these other teams, and you get the Brooklyn Nets in round one? Does that seem like a nice? So I thought this idea that you could you could pick the worst team in your conference as your first round playoff opponent. And then now you're really incentivizing, uh, you know, the fact that, you, hey, listen, you did over 82 games. You were the best of the best of the 16 teams that you're competing against. I thought that that was pretty cool. I like that a little bit more in the playing game. Uh, as I always say, though, it probably makes far too much sense to actually implement.
Look, I, what I always ask for, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I didn't want to get into the criticism of the NBA's competitive balance because Let's there, do is, it. there is absolutely none in this sport. All I hope for is good playoff series. Give me some drama. What I mean by drama is give me somebody winning three games to two and it being a five point game in the fourth quarter with a team trailing th- three games to two fights to force a game seven. That's what I want. Give me that more than once during this playoff. Um, if you start giving me th- three games to one, I just root for series to be over. Yeah, for that's sure. How, and I, that's how, and, it, it, to me, it works. I, I mean, yeah. th- that and a fun offseason, because the offseason is always more fun than the, than the actual season. Yeah, the no, 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 other, no other sport in North America do you just see the futures board change as dramatically in the offseason as you do with NBA and the free agent signing period. I mean, yeah, NFL, we just had, you know, Brady, will he, won't he? We had Russell Wilson go to Denver, and that moved the board big, but we don't have the single player that goes somewhere else and immediately changes the hopes and dreams of a franchise where they go from an also ran to immediate contender. Uh, And as a result, it's also one of the most painful things to try and be on top of in the off season because you never know whether when that watch bomb is going to be launched whether when shams is out there we have to i always say this always set up your tweet notifications for these guys in free agency <laughs> if it's three or four in the morning you've got to have that alarm going because all of a sudden you see teams go from 50 to 1 to 10 to 1 to win the nba finals like that and uh, we're getting better at it but we've absolutely been exposed in years past it is definitely a stressful time here so it's nice that we can actually just only worry about the results on the court now and not uh, the offseason moves just yet. We'll save that for another couple months. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Bavada at Odds podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you can get this in your inbox each and every week. For Patrick Morrow, I'm Seth Everett. Enjoy the sports, everyone. Thanks, folks. Thanks, folks.